Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome. I'm very excited to create this for you all, and I'm even more excited to dive into today's topic, which is humanity and its food. Yes, very deep, very deep. But before we take a dive into how and why big corporations are slowly compromising our health, I wanted to thank Natalie Shepard for inspiring me to start my very own podcast. And here we are. So, first and foremost, Natalie, thank you for giving me the will to do so and also finally start a podcast. But if you wanted to check out her podcast, it is called All Good Things with Natalie Shepard, and you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify at the time of this recording. So let's jump right into today's topic, shall we? However, very quickly, I want to thank After School, a uh, YouTube channel dedicated to bringing things to the public eye that wouldn't usually pass the mainstream checks and balances. So, again, After School, thank you for bringing this information to light. And if you guys wanted to check them out on YouTube, just search up After School with a K instead of a CH. But, humanity and its food. Right, we're going to be jumping around here, a lot of data to keep into mind here, but take a listen and really focus, pay attention, get locked in, and it's going to be a deep one, rather momentous, but it's great information and means a lot to me, and I wanted to bring this information to light to anybody who's willing to listen, so... This initial discovery that I'm going to be talking about today was made by Dr. Zach Bush. He specializes in internal medicine, endocrinology, hospice care, and focuses on the microbiome related to health and disease, right? And for any of you that are a little rocky on the terminology, because let's be honest, I was a little myself looking into this and researching this topic, but let me provide some insight here. So endocrinology is the field of hormone-related diseases, right? An endocrinologist can diagnose and treat problems and complications that arise from them. Hormones, of course, regulate your metabolism, respiration, growth, reproduction, sensory perception, and even your movement. So endocrine is hormone. And the microbiome, which is a massive idea in today's episode, which kind of outlines a whole umbrella of topics, but we're going to focus on the specifics of farming, chemical farming specifically, and glyphosate, pesticide, herbicide that's used in farming nowadays. But the microbiome is the collection of all microbes, such as bacteria, fungi, viruses and their genes that naturally live live within all of us. And these microbes can contribute drastically to our overall health as human beings. Okay, with that out of the way, let us go a little further, a little deeper here. Take a dive off the deep end. But let's talk about population, right? The actual population control of a country, city, town, village, anything for that matter, has always been around their food. But of course, we're living in a society with nearly 8 billion people, which is just a scaled-up version of the past. Just think about the money behind the businesses that control a vast majority of the food in a single population. Monsanto. Um, it's, it's nearly impossible to grasp, yet 
The sheer numbers themselves are truly incredible. Big Pharma, for example, will tell you again and again that, oh, we live in a world of constant innovation and understanding of the world around us, and that there are thousands of different diseases and thousands of drugs to treat those diseases. But, realistically, according to studies, papers, articles, and the latter, and more specifically, Dr. Bush's findings, lie in his team's discoveries in cancer, right? Bush, Dr. Bush, was one of the main proprietors of chemotherapy, right? A standard cancer treatment that continues to save hundreds of thousands of lives. But when he was studying cancer under the microscope, he realized that it is the exact same process as inflammation in the human body, which is chronic inflammation, right? Inflammation is just a normal biological response to injury. But if we have chronic inflammatory epidemic globally which realistically defines the vast majority of diseases that we see, then there's something we're all missing here. So what's the actual root cause of this uptick? And you can see this uptick somewhere between 1982 and now, for that matter, but we did something to the environment to, quote, totally decimate the protection system of our immune systems. And that big tip-off happened in the 1990s. This is when humanity saw different diseases and what seemed like different parts of the body and different organ systems go completely epidemic. And the strange part, it was near simultaneously. So I have a chart here which is provided by the CDC and the Autism and Development Disabilities Monitoring Network. A mouthful, I'm going to just refer to them as the ADDM from onward. A quick stat on the graph is that autism prevalence has increased 241% since 2000, right? The beginning of this chart, 1970, 1 in 10,000 cases were reported for autism on the spectrum. 1995, 1 in 1,000. 1999, 1 in 500. Up to 2000, the next year, 1 in 150. And then it's up and up and up and up and up and up. And the latest year on the graph, 1 in 44 cases were reported. Now, there's a little controversy around the autism diagnosis, but this isn't a case of new technologies and new diagnosis methods or we're recognizing autism better. This isn't a diagnostic dilemma. And to further enforce this idea, this is the, quote, fastest acceleration in that growth pattern since the 1930s, according to the Children's Health Defense. The terrifying thing is, if this rate keeps up, we will see one in three children on the spectrum by 2035. One in three by 2035. Just let that sink in. However, in 1996, we saw a sudden rise in Alzheimer's dementia in women taking a trip to the moon. However, the rate in men has, hasn't changed, right? In contrast, also in 1996, we saw an uptick consistent linear growth parallel to the Alzheimer's in women's with Parkinson's in men's. So we're seeing these almost gender-specific, organ-specific diseases in the brain seeing drastic increases in their respective biological gender identifications. But here's another graph, another chart for you from the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association, which is just AARDA from now on. So if you look at this graph, right, you're seeing upwards linear growth, right, consistent to an upwards in population, right, from 1950. 1960, same thing. 
and then around 1980s, right, early 1980s up to mid-1990s, we're seeing drastic increases in multiple sclerosis, sorry, uh, Crohn's disease, type 1 diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, celiac disease, thyroid diseases, aut autism disorders, all seeing the same uptick in the early to mid-1990s. So maybe big pharma's pushes, pills, and medications trying to address an insane number of diseases and conditions is just another stab at greed, power, and money, right? Like, who would have thought big pharma needs more money and is trying to sway the population to buy their stuff, buy their pills, buy their medications, right? So there has to be a source, right? There, there, there has to be. I wouldn't be creating the most depressing first episode to a podcast if there weren't answers to this to this staggering data, right? But let us switch up from the gloom and doom and all these stats and all this data to a slightly different but ever-connected topic. Soil, gut health, and agriculture. In the same way that we've misunderstood the gut and what gut health means, we've misunderstood soil. So here's a tad history refresher. I know we're covering all the topics today. But in the late 1880s, early 1900s, we changed the way that we farmed to accommodate this massive population boom, right? We went from using these huge stone grinders for wheat to simplified, innovative steel grinders, meaning more fiber, thus creating a higher gluten concentration and higher refined carbohydrate laid all in our wheat system. But the main thing that happened during this revolutionary period was that we started to disregard the traditional way of agriculture and cultivating crops. We started to disregard the importance of crop rotation and soil rest recovery, cover cropping, and everything else in between because of all this new technology, thinking that, oh, we're just getting better at, at farming. We can disregard everything that humanity's been doing since the population has started to increase when we figured out agriculture in the first place, right? So this, of course, led to the massive death of the topsoil, right, the Dust Bowl, which lasted for roughly 10 years from the 1920s to the 1930s. It's truly fascinating to think that this was really not that long ago when our family members were lining up to get soup because there was no food. Yet, nobody has stopped to think about how we managed to get out of the deep hole that we dug ourselves with the Dust Bowl. There's a quote that I like to say, or that humanity likes to say, or people, I, I probably said it, but humanity always finds a way. Right, but do we ever stop and think about those ways? What are those ways? Right? Okay, more history. I know. Okay, I know, I know, but it's important to the comprehension of this subject and this concept. So just sit back, enjoy your little history refresher. But we're gonna take it to World War Two, right? Nineteen thirty nine, lasting through nineteen forty five. And this is when we saw a huge shift. Manufacturing of petroleum and the petroleum industry saw massive increases in production to keep up with the new type of mechanical warfare we were seeing, right? You got tanks rolling, planes flying, missiles, bombs, bombshells, new guns, new everything, right? This was insanely new compared to previous wars in history where we lined up and said, oh, I'm going to shoot. Okay, your turn. You shoot. No, this was modern modern stuff right so we're seeing 
huge amounts of oil after the war and petroleum just sitting, right? Because the war is done. We have this industry booming and now cuts off. So what do we do with it, right? But of course, humanity always finds a way and we did. So scientists realize we can extract nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Hey, shout out Amelie, right? Some <laughs> real case applications here. So we can extract nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium out of the oil. And this is what started the green revolution of the 1960s as we know it today, right? Thus sending a message to the farmers, hey, even though you just suffered a complete death of the topsoil over the past 10 years, you still don't need to rotate crops, right? Or obey basic agricultural laws. Like, we have fertilizer now. Like, come on, guys, we're in modern times, right? So these nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or NPK fertilizers did, in fact, turn plains green because, okay, science, nitrogen, phosphorus are going to do that to the plants, but what was lacking in those plants for the first time in human history was the nutrients and the medicine at that, that should have been in the food that should have always been in the food. So these plants became weak, just like we do when we lack nutrients in our immune systems, causing a shutdown, right? The same goes for plants. These plants become more prone to viruses and pests, and they can't excrete the things it needs to from the root system that traditionally kept the weeds at bay. So now the plant can't keep these pests away. So the chemical industry says, well, hey, here's a new chemical and a new one and a new one. Are you guys seeing a pattern here, right? Like almost like we mentioned this earlier with big pharma, right? A pattern arises here and a cycle emerges. Same with drugs. You take a drug, the drug has a side effect. So you take another drug to eliminate the initial side effects. And then you need another drug to eliminate that side effect from it's a cycle. And the same goes with these chemicals, right? But let's take the umbrella in and just focus on one chemical specifically. And we're going to talk about glyphosate, right? Which is conveniently the chemical in Roundup, which is conveniently the product seen related to commercials talking about the diseases mentioned earlier. Like, have you ever watched a YouTube video where watching TV with your parents or watching TV by yourself and you see those commercials and they're like, if you or a loved one has been exposed to Roundup, been diagnosed with cancer, you are entitled to financial compensation, right? It's the same thing. Roundup glyphosate. That's the chemical that they're talking about, right? So currently we use around 4.5 billion pounds of glyphosate worldwide, right? According to Stittleberg. Also, here in the Midwest, glyphosate is the most prominent herbicide by a landslide. But interestingly enough, glyphosate was never originally patented as a weed killer. It was patented as an antibiotic, right? This was the mechanism of glyphosate was an antibiotic, right? The herbicide glyphosate blocks the plant's ability to undergo amino acid synthesis, right? Specifically in the shikimate pathway, which human bodies don't have. And that's important because it makes the number of essential amino acids our human bodies are composed of, right? So we are composed of over 200,000 proteins, right? And there are 26 amino acids which comprise those proteins. Think of amino acids like the 26 letter English alphabet, right? Like our alphabet. We need vowels to compose words, just like we need specific amino acids to comprise proteins. So if you start messing with the amino acid vowels, nine to be exact, you lose tens of thousands of protein structures in their functionality and form. And conveniently enough, 
These amino acid vowels cannot be made by the human body. They have to come from the food chain somewhere, and also, conveniently enough, the usage of these pesticides and herbicides are removing these amino acids from the soil. Simply put, we don't have a shikimate pathway. So imagine, why in the hell are we treating our food supply with a chemical that blocks the essentials from entering our bodies and thus enabling us to be fully healthy? All right, here's some more statistics for you. Less than one-tenth of one percent of glyphosate used on the planet actually hits a weed. The other 99.9% gets into the soil, the water table, the watershed, everywhere. When it rains, you're going to hit with this chemical. When you drink water, you're consuming, or lake water, you're consuming this chemical. Nearly every daily function of life involves this chemical. The Mississippi, right? Huge river in the United States, which is connected to a bunch of rivers throughout the United States, collects 80% of the water from across the country, right? thus collecting 80% of glyphosate from the country, which then evaporates and affects everything, and so on and so forth. Recent studies have showed that 75%, okay, just take that in, 75% of rain and air samples, air samples contain glyphosate, right? If we stopped all usage across the globe instantaneously, it is estimated that glyphosate would be completely eliminated in a staggering 50 years, right? It would take 50 years for this chemical to be completely eliminated if we stopped all usage right now, right? So we have now locked this water-soluble toxin in our environment for what seems like forever. And the thing is, there's almost a direct correlation to glyphosate in its usage to the neurological and organ system diseases that I've mentioned earlier with all the charts and tables and all that. So, our gut, right? Promise I'd get to our gut and the microbiome. Our gut is held together by trillions of cells, right? And they make up the cellophane layer, which is held by tight junctions, right? These are Velcro-like proteins that hold one microscopic cell to the next and to the next to create a coherent carpet, right? The problem with glyphosate is that it increases the permeability of these membranes and causes holes and leaks in our blood vessels and our organ system membranes. But Monsanto, right, the big agricultural company that controls roughly a huge portion of our food chain in America, will tell you that, oh, glyphosate doesn't harm the human body. Humans don't have the shikimate pathway, right? And I, I even mentioned that earlier. But the thing is, glyphosate wasn't originally an antibiotic, right? So this drug is going to have side effects just like any other drug. It's going through your body, it's running through your body, it's hitting things, it's doing things, it's messing with things on its way to its supposed destination, right? So every macro membrane in your body, blood vessels, are held together by the same tight junctions, right? Take the brain, for instance. The blood-brain barrier is the only thing in your body that is absolutely not supposed to allow anything in without a regulated fashion, right? So here we are leaking Glyphosate is weakening those tight junctions in our blood vessels, like we have gut leak, nasal sinus leak, and now our brain, right? So if our brain was leaking, we'd see a correlation, right? Well, yes, we are. Like I mentioned earlier with the spike of neurological brain diseases, the usage of glyphosate and the correlation with these diseases is almost directly parallel, starting in 1996. If you do not believe me, I encourage you and everybody to do your own research. You are your own independent person. We are all entitled to our own opinions. So yes, of course, any listener, please 
look at the correlation of glyphosate usage and the uptick in neurological and organ system diseases, and you will see the correlation I'm talking about here. But let's take into account climate change now, right? Like how are we going to get these greedy, power-hungry POSs off their rocker for fossil fuel consumption and CO2 emissions? Like glyphosate and chemical farming as a whole just seems like an itty-bitty problem to the world, and realistically it is, right? Humanity is largely focused on what's right in front of them, and that's just human nature. I wouldn't be making this episode if the initial after-school video didn't appear on my YouTube recommended while I was eating cereal one day, you know? But that's really just what it takes is awareness, right? Like, quote, identifying the problem is so much of the solution. We have to take back this huge curtain and share the knowledge with those around you. Like Amelie said, my outdoor adventures teacher, to truly learn something, to truly digest, to truly, truly comprehend... You need to listen, learn, and teach, right? You have to hear the problem. You have to learn about the problem. And then you have to teach the problem to others to fully comprehend, to fully digest whatever it is you may be learning about. And that's that's the thing, right? Awareness. And we need, in reality, we need a whole worldwide paradigm shift. But think about humans, right? We're humans. We can't even get the problems that we already know are a problem under control, right? How are we going to get people to even believe this, right? But the human mind and consciousness or humanity, like looking at previous paradigm shifts in history, right? Like we have Ben Franklin or Edison, Galileo, right? Humanity only accepted these ideas when the evidence was so overwhelming that there was no other option not to, right? People didn't believe Edison could do such a thing and tell the bulb lit up, right? Franklin's electricity wasn't adopted until he struck himself with lightning to prove a point, right? Taking all of these shifts and discoveries into account is going to take an absolute adoption of the current evidence and an absolute human intervention so our feud chain can be revived, right? How about Greece? I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's island chains in Greece, specifically Ikaria. Sorry if I pronounce that incorrectly. But in comparison to the U.S., the population of these islands and a few surrounding islands have an average lifespan of 90 years, right? That is 8 to 10 times longer than the American lifespan, right? Mainly because of their food consumption and, and their way of life, right? So the only thing they consume is the fish that they catch, the wine that they produce, the crops that they produce, and they live in these tight-knit, personalized communities, right? What I'm saying is that it is possible to change our habits and to change how we eat and change how we consume and change how we produce food in our specific Americanized food chain, right? We can change. It just takes cooperation from everybody and huge understandings of the topic to a point where ignorance is not an option. And I feel like that is a huge problem with our political and economic... Oh my god, I sound like... <laughs> I sound like uh, Jaden Smith. Wow. I apologize. But realistically, it, it comes down to... It, that's what it comes down to, is our politics and our economics. Because... We have a huge divide in our country and one side is right and one side is wrong or their side is right and the other side's wrong. If we can't 
fully come together and same with the economics, right? We have big businesses, big farm, big agriculture, right? Pushing propaganda into our population and into humanity and people don't know what to believe. And the same goes for politics. We need to eliminate fake news, eliminate propaganda, encourage learning and sharing of the truth and what is absolutely correct that there is no other option than to not believe the surmounting evidence that is right in front of you, right? But that's really what it's always come down to and what it will always come down to. But humanity is humanity, right? And humanity will always find a way. And that's a quote that I guess I seem to like coming back to. But I really do hope that we do find a way to succeed as 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 a population and that we don't have to see the end of humanity. I want my kids to grow up in a home where they're not worried. And I want to raise kids in a home where they don't have, where I don't have to worry, you know? But I really hope you guys learned something from this episode. And I'd like to apologize for such a momentous note and ending on it. But thank you all for tuning into my first episode. Thank you for tuning into McLean versus the world. And I'll, I'll see you next time. Stay vigilant. Stay eager. And stay open-minded, folks. Thank you again.